It will come as no great surprise to you that words and how we hear words and what words mean take on different flavors in, and different emphases in different circumstances. And so when we hear, love one another as I have loved you, or I don't call you servants, I call you friends, or you did not choose me, but I chose you, we're hearing something quite different for those first disciples in the days before Jesus' death, where they're hearing something almost like a, a dying patriarch saying to the children, you must love one another, it's sort of giving a blessing almost. And, and that's quite different than 60, 70 years later by the time these stories are being told in John's community of the, the beloved disciple and, and they're, they're under persecution from the Judaizing authorities as followers of the way are cast out of the synagogues and, and even persecution from the Roman Empire as well. And they're saying in that time, we've got to love one another, brothers and sisters. Remember, we are chosen. We have a job to do. There's this sense of destiny and commissioning that you hear in these words. And that's quite different than a couple of thousand years later when we're remembering the institution of the Eucharist on Maundy Thursday. Maundy, uh, an English contraction from the Latin mandatum. The mandatum novum is the new commandment, and the new commandment is love one another as I have loved you. And what makes it new is not the command to love, it's the command to love in the, after the model and pattern of the self-giving love of Jesus. And we know that with the perspective of, of the years. But love one another as I have loved you takes on a different meaning for us at that time. And it's different again at, at weddings or celebrations of commitment when this reading is often chosen, where we hear more about uh, love one another that your joy may be complete and that my joy may be in you. And we hear it a little differently even uh, on the sixth Sunday in Easter where we hear these words one more time. And what runs through all of them is this, whatever the emphasis and however we hear it, is this, is this call, this commandment that we love after the model and pattern of Jesus. It's a kind of love, let's face it, that can be commanded, which means that in some respects we love because we choose to love. We decide to love. We, we elect to love. It's not simply a feeling. There's no point in commanding a feeling, is there? Love, be happy, be sad. It doesn't mean much unless it's something we can choose to do. And this kind of love is effective love. It's love that makes a difference in the world. It's love that is not always easy. God knows that when Jesus was going to the cross... That was an expression of love that was not welcome or easy. It was something he embraced out of his integrity. And so this self-giving love is what runs through all of these, all of these uh, stories, this effective love. The word in Greek is agape, and in Latin it gets made caritas, from where we get caring, for example. It's, it's love in action. In the King James English, it becomes charity. Faith, hope, and charity abide, these three. And the greatest of these is charity. And it's not about philanthropy, as we use the term now, although that's not unrelated to effective love. It's just not limited to philanthropy. It's this love in action that we are commanded to do. 
and how do we go about doing it? Where do we see it? When you think about effective love that you've known in your life, what do you remember? What do you imagine? I've been thinking about my friend uh, Peter Lee. Peter is retiring this fall after a very long and distinguished episcopate as Bishop of Virginia, and he's going to be the interim dean of the cathedral in uh, San Francisco for a year before he really retires. And then I was thinking back to when he was a fairly new bishop, and I was fairly new in the Diocese of Virginia, and we had a clergy conference, the subject of which was an evaluation of mutual ministry, which, which meant in this instance evaluating the bishop. He was very brave, and he asked us to do it. He'd been the bishop five, six, seven years, something like that. And the clergy, uh, not notable as a group known for their love, um, uh, <laughs> were whining, you know, whining and grumbling about the bishop. He wasn't very pastoral, and he wasn't, he wasn't like one of these grand old patrician bishops that they'd known in the Virginia traditions, so on and so forth. And, and, and we had to get together, and, and I was asked to, to convene a group, so all over the conference center, the world, small groups of clergy. And what happened in, in my group, and apparently in many others, was we started telling stories of how this man... Had, had just sort of shown up at critical times. One, one fellow had been in a, it was a, as a cyclist, and he was in the Shenandoah Valley, and he was in a bad wreck. Someone hit, car hit him, and the bishop showed up in his hospital room uh, about a day late after the accident. And then later, when he was home and was in recovery, the bishop showed up, knocked on the door, and delivered a new bicycle, a new racing bicycle as a gift. He said, I know this is important to you, uh, but I want you to have this. And that man told that story. A fellow just north of Fredericksburg um, told the story of how his wife left him. He had no idea that was coming. He came home one day, his wife was gone, and he was shattered, just devastated. And uh, Bishop Lee showed up, six o'clock, a couple of nights later, on his doorstep, holding a bottle of scotch. <laughs> now, that, that was caring, and that was effective. And, 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 uh, and unheralded, didn't make a big announcement, didn't make a big thing of it. And then I had, when everyone had a story, I had lots of stories because he'd been my rector when I was 18. But I remember when we came home from the hospital uh, with, with Alexander having just been born. And within a couple of hours, uh, the bishop was there. I don't know how he did, does it, but he was there on the doorstep with a little pewter Jefferson cup, which they gave, the Diocese of Virginia gave to clergy families who had babies and and he was there and he visited and we all had these stories and what happened as they were told was we realized that we realized that effective love isn't about something you advertise pastoral care real caring is something that's more about effectiveness than it is about giving a feeling and the grumbling stopped and it just stopped after that evaluation thing it was quite extraordinary stories of real effective love. What do you think about? What do you remember? Who do you remember? It's not huge, dramatic transformations. It's simple acts of love and caring that are effective day by day. It is the giving of self in ways that uh, pewter cups and bottles of scotch and bicycles are expressions of that willingness to put yourself out. The bishop lived in Richmond, and here he was in the Shenandoah Valley and Alexandria and Fredericksburg, I don't know how he does it, but it was real, and it was effective, and it was caring. Now, we're engaged, among other things, when we gather here 
in spiritual practice, in conscious discipline that shapes the rest of our lives so that we don't have to be thinking about it all the time. And this morning we're going to engage a ritual we call Rite 13, where we're going to see young men and young women begin to act out separating from their parents. And then they'll be in conversation with their parents about how they're going to love each other in the years to come. And, and the parents are going to say, help us know when to hold you, oh God, help us know when to hold you close and when to let you go. And children are going to say, as we grow and change, we, we value your support even when we don't show it. Imagine that. And then, and then they're going to come even further over here and the acolytes will join and they will join uh, the older teenagers who often will be their primary support in this, in this journey to adulthood, as we call it. And what we're acting out is a conversation about love that will echo through their lives in the years to come, we trust. But the greatest discipline... You know, it's easy enough to figure out how to have a discipline of generosity and giving. It's easy enough to have a discipline of prayer or study. But how do you have a discipline of love? And the best discipline we have, the best spiritual practice we have, is gathering week by week around this table in the community of faith, remembering the story that tells us who we are, tells us that we matter, reminds us that we are loved, reminds us of God's extraordinary, abundant, self-giving love that brings universes into being, and reminds us of that over against the barrage of messages that we and these young men and women and their parents and their friends receive every day that say you're valuable when you can consume, and instead we say no. It really is all about love. It really is about effective, self-giving love after the model and pattern of Jesus Christ. And that's part of what we're doing so that in the days and weeks and years to come, we will be able to just show up and be where we need to be and make the gifts we need to make as signs of the effective, self-giving love of God by which we were created and redeemed and loved and saved. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.